About 15 years ago, I lived with my sister, my brother-in-law, and my now ex-girlfriend in an old house on the outskirts of town. Within just a few weeks, strange things were happening on the regular. Lights would cut out randomly. Odd noises would come from upstairs when no one was there. Someone or something scratched a window at the back of the house. It looked weird, like they'd been using glass cutters and were interrupted suddenly mid-robbery. Creepy stuff like that. All bad enough. But as time wore on, the situation got even crazier. One night, I was alone in the living room watching TV while everyone else was out working the late shift. Out of nowhere, our cat started getting jumpy. I couldn't see what the hell he was reacting to, but just as he wedged himself into a corner with his back arched, the lights went out, throwing the whole house into pitch darkness. Before I could move to check the breakers, the sound of footsteps bounding down the stairs at full speed toward me rang out like gunfire. I froze in my tracks and braced for impact. Quickly as it started, the sound stopped. Nothing hit me, nothing brushed by. I collected myself, reset the trip switch, and searched the house from top to bottom. I was alone. A few nights later, we were all gathered around the TV stuffing our faces with pizza. For once, the atmosphere was pretty chill. But no sooner had someone made a comment to that effect than a loud crash rang from upstairs. We all ran to investigate, of course. In the master suite, the bedside table had somehow made its way to the middle of the room. The worst and final incident unfolded not long after. I say final because I'd move out within a week. To this day, my blood runs cold to remember it. One night, I woke up facing the wall. The alarm clock read 3.13 a.m. As my eyes slowly adjusted to the dark, I was confused by the sight of my girlfriend standing motionless at the foot of the bed. I bolt upright and began to ask what was wrong, only to realize she was sound asleep beside me. Fear washed over my body, a surge of panic freezing me in position. The figure at the foot of the bed was that of a young girl in a nightdress, and she was soaking wet from head to toe. Her face was tilted downward, looking at the floor. I can still make out the cartoon character logo on her outfit. Still hear the water trickling to the floor at her feet. I stared at her, wide-eyed, unable to move, unable to utter a sound for what seemed like forever. Slowly, she faded away. When the shock subsided, I sprang from the bed and threw on the lights. I paced the room like a madman, much to my girlfriend's confusion. I'd like to tell you that we chalked the figure up to sleep paralysis or something rational sounding like that. Trouble is, where the figure had been standing, a wet spot darkened the floor. Footsteps creeping along the hall at midnight. Discuss. But life is a haunted oratory when 
you're like us. So sit tight, turn on the light, and curl up with some ghoulish history. Something a little dark and dreary. Serve with a heaping dose of eerie. Raise those Moscow mules and clink them. Whoopsies. Ghost. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Cool Intentions. Ooh, it almost said like it almost like you said cool intentions, and I like that. Let's keep it's, that energy because we're in a new phase. It's a whole new world. Uh, I'd like to new... congratulate you on your new president. <laughs> I, and and also with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I'm, I didn't think we'd make it. I didn't uh, think we'd make man. it. I thought, did you watch the inauguration you know, at all? It was pretty early for you. Uh, yeah, no, I did not. Yeah, I, I did. I don't think I've actually, I haven't watched inauguration, like, ever. So I'll just go back and, like, tonight, you know, when all the when all the um, comedy news shows cover it, I'll, I'll see the best of clips. That's how I, that's how I get my news. Yeah, I was doing pretty good. I watched it. I, I did pretty good. Uh, but then, I think it was when Lady Gaga sang... The national anthem is when I was like, <laughs> and then I, I just cried I and see. cried <laughs> until I, did see. I saw her brooch and her brooch. I'm like, Jesus oh my God. Christ. Yeah, she was not playing around. I mean, um, great, I mean, I fucking love her fashion sense, but I'm just like, I thought she had like lupus or something. Wouldn't that make I, stuff like that hard to wear because it, it adds be. so much weight to the costume? I'm just saying, she's it a strong be. woman. <laughs> she's very strong. Uh, the coats. The coats. I mean, I want oh someone to God. say, what coat are you? Like, what coat worn at the inauguration are you? And I want to do that, like Hufflepuff, like, you know, all that shit. I, I want to do that, but coats. The, the Bernie um, Sanders outfit, too, and everyone's calling mm. him, like, what's the meme? But they're just saying, like, Bernie Sanders is, is a mood right now. Like, he's totally <laughs> vibing with, like, yeah, I, I get it. I'm here. Let's move on. We got shit to do. Right. Is it safe? <laughs> this feels unsafe. The whole time, it's like, oh, God, please let everybody be okay. Please let everybody. The whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I started oh to get um, my stuff together, you know, my life, my feelings, my emotions together. But then, and then they <laughs> yeah. brought out the poet laureate, and I cannot remember her name right now, Amber. Mm, mm, I, don't I can't know. I remember. Oh, that. I feel like such a shithead. Um, um, I gotta look it up. It, Hold on. It'll, she, it'll come to you. I'm yeah, sure. she was unbelievable, and the, like just sitting oh. there as an artist watching her do like just read this poem that she'd written. She's the youngest poet laureate, I think, in American history. Just incredible. And what she was reading was mm. so powerful. Aww. And I lost Amanda Gorman. That's her name. Amanda Gorman. You should definitely oh, look yeah, her okay. up. It was oh, unreal. Yes. And just, I mean, then I started crying again. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Let me go ahead and do all the shit I got to do today now. Um, I know that I know like the eight year old in me was expecting this to like be like the last scene in the Dark Crystal. But, uh, you know, yeah. I'll settle for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, just, like, it was so great. I'm like, just imagine having a president that even knows what a poet laureate is. Right. Right. Yeah. Think, it was great. Trump's, and, uh, Trump's inauguration four years ago, a thousand years ago. Wasn't like Ted Nugent the poet laureate? <laughs> something like that. Right. Ugh. But it was really nice. It was it was uh, it was just a. Oh, it it definitely felt like we could breathe a little easier, you know. Mm -hmm. Not that, not that by breathing easier, we're saying that we don't have to pay attention and that we don't have to fight and we don't have to stand up for each other no, and no. everything. So, but it's just really nice for one day to be like, 
<sighs> we, we have a real president with an actual cabinet of experts again. Mm-hmm. Not, and they're not, not all just... old white men. No, no. Yeah, it's diverse. It's exciting. It's as very hell, exciting. and that's fucking great. Oh, my God. I love it. Uh, so, so, so what was your opening so story? So, of course, we're a little, we're a little, oh, the opening story uh, was something I got from Reddit. Let's see. What was, I don't know the user's <laughs> name. Let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> we're so I'm so just like not uh like I'm just so focused on other things. Yeah. I sent it to my where is it? Where is it here? I don't know. Uh that was from I'm saying like I have it. Uh that was from Reddit user U slash eighth immortal. Um, nice. must be a reference to something I've never heard there of. Was. I, I had mean, a I've ding. heard of Immortals. There's Thank the ding. You. But yeah, it was just a really cool story. I thought it was super creepy and relatable and and um especially with the whole the running down the staircase thing and then the figure at the foot of the bed and the nice little almost uh Poe like twist at the end, but there was a puddle. You know, I love that shit. So Yeah. yeah. Who's to say if it's true? It was in the true ghost stories section of Reddit, so I just took it with a grain of salt and did a little retooling for for audio purposes. And um, thank you. So thank you. If that Reddit user happens to listen to the show, I'm certain they don't. Um, <laughs> thank you for your unwitting contribution to our content. Uh, <laughs> I hope they love it, even though they're never going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you know I do the little rewriting so I can do it in my voice, you know, and yeah. and because uh, that's that's kind of what I do. I keep all I don't change any of the facts or anything like right. that. I just kind of I just the word choice uh, changes up so to make it a little more um, uh, 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 in line with how I a little read more story. Michael, a little more Michael, and uh, <laughs> I wonder if anyone ever listens to me having done that to their Reddit story and goes. Why that motherfucker had the same experience I did. I wonder if he lived in the same haunted house. And before they realize, <laughs> oh, that's actually that's my story. My story. And <laughs> mm, but anyway, so thank you to to um, you slash eighth immortal. Um, <laughs> appreciate For you. Are. Have you uh, have you at all looked at um, how some people are dealing with <laughs> with the new president? Uh, I have a couple of uh, weird news stories on it, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because, I mean, of course, that was going to be all over weird news. But go on with the thought. I haven't really... I've just... I I love the stories some of these fucking mm-hmm. people are telling themselves. You you had one from, from someone you sort of know. Someone in my family. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> I know them. Yeah. They're, they're a family member. But thank you for being subtle. I won't say exactly who it is, but... Um, <laughs> I have another family member that was sent uh, as a troop um, to guard, right? Was it National Guard? National Guard? National Guard, yeah. He's National Guard. So he was sent up there and um, sent a picture to this other person. And this other person replied, "Uh, I bet the Democrats are going to be really scared of Trump's army. I bet they're all scared up there. Because this person genuinely believes or believed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> they may be reevaluating now. Yeah. Believed <laughs> that uh, Trump was going to be elected, uh, was going to be inaugurated today, that, um, that the like it was troops be were some actually Nicolas there. Cage to... movie twist of like, ah, Biden's right. going to pull off the mask and it was Trump the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked into <laughs> this theory. Now, I... It does appear that this person, this family member, did genuinely believe that Trump was going to be inaugurated today, not Biden. 
Okay. I fucking but watched I too into- many heist <laughs> movies. Yeah. So what <laughs> this um, myth that they these people believe, the whole myth, I don't know. This fan, We haven't talked to them today, so we're yeah, not sure if they're we, just going and we hiding. We try not to talk of, to them very much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just kind of step back. Um, but normally, you know, in families, it's always like, did you mm-hmm. hear? Oh, my God. Someone has to find out. And so I am not that someone. I am just <laughs> waiting. Oh, I want to know. But uh, the belief That's was that— hilarious. Um, <laughs> that Biden and everybody had already been um, arrested and tried and convicted. And so the army was really there. The military was there to protect Trump to keep the Democrats from <laughs> overtaking the government. There was another belief that was similar to that. <laughs> that is that um, they were all arrested and they were put in jail but then it was de- it was decided, I don't know by whom, but it was decided that it would be it too hard decided. for the American people to deal with this kind of arrest situation. So they decided to go ahead and release everyone from prison and allow them <laughs> to to act out the part of president, vice president, and all of the other people involved with it. But Trump is really going to be um, the president in disguise. He's going like, to be the he's power. Just, yeah. Yeah. He's really going to be running everything. But they they let them out of prison after being oh convicted so that they could pretend. I mean, you know they believe what? It. I will say, I will say as coping mechanisms go, that's pretty strong. Yes. Um, you know, I wish I had better. I had, I wish I had that level of coping mechanism for my own anxiety. Just a whole I fantasy I'm, I'm, world. Just a whole fantasy that's just yeah. that visit, that visit, viv, vivid, vivid, vivid is the word I'm looking for. Vivid. Thank yeah. you. Better luck next time. Uh, I, <laughs> I just. It was funny. Uh, when I say these people watch too many heist movies, it immediately makes me think of Dan Harmon's rant about heist movies, um, which is really funny. I think in Harmontown, which is like his stand-up podcast routine, I don't know how, what, how, what to call it, but it's it's really funny. And his it's whole funny heist talks thing, and, and says fun stuff. Yeah, and he okay. was like heist movies. He's like, there was a heist movie about a bunch of magicians doing a heist, and it's co-. and I'm paraphrasing, of course. I'm no Dan Harmon. Oh, oh but there, but for the grace of God. Um, <laughs> He's like, there's a heist movie, and it's called Now You See Me. And I get so mad because I fucking hate heist movies. They're so tropey and stupid, and they always hinge on the stupidest fucking twist that you're like, you can either see them coming a mile away. They're just, I hate them, I hate them. I, they're so paint by the numbers. He's like, but the worst part is, is that a sequel came out, and it's called Now You See Me Too. And he's like... Why the fuck wouldn't you just call it, and now you don't? <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know about the people writing this shit. <laughs> missed opportunity after missed opportunity. And, uh, <laughs> and so it makes me think of, you know, I just see a whole generation of Trumpers that just grew up on heist movies, and they're just, in their whole mind, they're like, I know yeah. this is happening right now. And there's like a soundtrack to it with a lot of bass. <laughs> yeah. A lot of jazzy, funky bass. And really right now. It's just Trump eating a fucking cheeseburger in his whitey tidies in a hotel room somewhere or whatever. I don't know. He's probably getting on a plane and going to leave the country. I don't know. Good fucking riddance. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. That's what's great. It doesn't matter. And if these people want to fantasize, whatever keeps their ass in the wilderness. <laughs> Stay in the forest. This way, don't go, go into the forest. You might run into someone who thinks Trump is actually arrested. You might run into a Trump supporter that's trying not to be arrested for storming the Capitol. Um, <laughs> but they're still wearing their fucking uh, 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 
<laughs> home monitor bracelet. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> <sighs> what? What's our What's our title today? Let's get into oh, something more fun. Our like title death. for today is. Um, it's not from anything. It just really suits today's episode, <laughs> and it's the vapors, because you might catch a case <laughs> of the vapors, and we'll get into huh? the why in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. As if people didn't read the title, but I don't want to distract the from vapors. the the weird the news. The vapor. Oh yeah, I finally I found some weird news, of course, and it just like for the first time in forever, the weird news wasn't depressing. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, let's just jump in. Uh, the first one I just call this one this dipshit. A New York man has now been charged with participating in the January 6th insurrection in D.C. after allegedly texting a picture and video of himself in the Capitol to his girlfriend's brother. A special, a special agent with the U.S. Diplomatic Security Service. Whoopsies. According to a probable cause affidavit, whoopsies, arrest warrant. Um, <laughs> according to a probable cause affidavit filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, the agent, who is a federal officer employed by the U.S. Department of State, reported the photo and video to the Diplomatic Security Service, which then passed it along to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. The uh, agent reportedly saw a post from his sister on Facebook that her boyfriend, Thomas Fee, um, I, I, I want to say that his name, his family name was Free, but they removed the R at Ellis Island. Um, uh, Thomas V of Freeport, New York, was in D.C. at the rally on January 6th. The agent subsequently texted Fee, who allegedly confirmed his presence and sent him a selfie taken in the Capitol Rotunda, along with a video and a, and a text saying that he was at the tip of the spear. <laughs> Wow. According to the affidavit, federal investigators were able to confirm a white Chevy, Ta- uh, white Chevy, that that white Chevy Tahoe registered to Fee uh, le, uh, 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 in Long Island, where Freeport is located, on the fifth of January, and it was and it returned there the seventh around eleven a.m. after the insurrection. <laughs> <laughs> CNN CNN reports that Fee retired from the New York Fire Department in October uh, after twenty two years of service. He is at least the second retired firefighter to be charged in connection with the Capitol riot. The other being Robert Sanford of uh, uh, Brooklyn, Pennsylvania, who was accused of striking three Capitol Police officers in the head with a fire extinguisher. Mm. He faces charges of entering a restricted building uh, or grounds and impeding the orderly conduct of government business or official functions. So that guy, he's like, oh yeah, here you want my proof, here you go. Like, <laughs> yeah, here it is. I think it's really, really funny and telling, actually, that it seems a lot of these people that were there not only mm. were they bragging about it, not only were they doing all of that, but it seems as though the people around them were more than happy to turn their asses in, right? Ex-spouses, <laughs> ex-friends, like people who knew them from right. work. They were like, get right. this motherfucker, <laughs> like immediately, oh, which is telling, one too many, right? It's just one it's too many telling. shitty comments at Thanksgiving, and they're like, fuck it, if I ever get a chance to turn in Uncle Frank, you better believe I'm He's turning going in down. Uncle Frank. Yeah, I'm tired um, of fighting him. I'm just going to let the, mil- <laughs> the, the federal government take him. And the one thing that I know, I don't know if we talked about this last night, but with the federal government, it seemed to take a little bit. And I know that mm. I have received a death threat uh, through the mail, and mm-hmm. which is so dumb. And the FBI is it's, definitely, it's the du- you know, it's so... yeah, they <sighs> they are working with the post office 
to that's figure how they, that that's out. Why they, that's how those agencies started their life. Like, they started working with the mail service. So they know what they're fucking doing. They do. It's literally the foundation of their process. And it was made clear to me that they would never, they would not serve a warrant or arrest someone until they had it in the bag. So mm-hmm. they would wait until they got all of the evidence so that they knew they could get a conviction before they ever even arrest. So that was, I mean, so it's interesting. It was taking a little bit of time and people were like, why aren't they getting arrested? I was like, well, I know because <laughs> they're... But I also love because it's happening the... quicker than I thought it would. Yeah. And here they all are. And it's really funny how it's like, you've got to think that the agents are like, it is so nice that these people are so stupid because they yeah. just handed us evidence. They just, they took pictures, they posted on social media, they took selfies and sent it to their fucking government Yeah, and they're like relatives. comparing like, like, this is the video <laughs> they took and here they are in oh. other video that was taken to just like, double triple show that they were there it is nuts. i want someone to do a story about the number of fucking fakes that were like i was totally there and they were nowhere near it but now they're backpedaling because right. they don't no, want to I be wasn't. arrested that was good it was i yeah. lied you know cool you know points. some people fucking hired like their their smart you know computer savvy nephew or or, or niece to like photoshop them into the riot. right and then so they give us like, like, they're like oh you know, the, never the... mind let's say it was just fake but like and they're now eating crow like times two the they they maced <sighs> me girl who it looks like she has an <laughs> onion in her hand that one it's like yeah. you sure you were there sweetie <laughs> you sure about that or is that just an onion <laughs> yeah crazy okay sorry go ahead all right so next story just like the real thing, a this smells like my vagina candle peddled by Gwyneth Paltrow on her infamous goop site exploded into flames in the living room of a UK woman who had won the odoriferous product in a quiz. Uh, this is reported by The Sun. Quote, the candle exploded and emitted huge flames with bits flying everywhere, said Jody Thompson, 50, who was the <laughs> the victim of Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, vagina candle explosion. <laughs> I It just sounds like a great folk band from the 70s. Um, <laughs> vagina candle explosion. That's going to be a current band, like right? You know there's a band that's like, we should be Gwyneth Paltrow's Candle <laughs> Explosion. That's our, they're a, that's our they're name. A, they're, a cover, they're a cover band for Coldplay. <laughs> uh, I've never seen anything like it. The whole thing was ablaze, and it was too hot to touch. There was an inferno in the room. Like, how do you just know Paltrow is going... Yeah, what did you expect? It's my vagina. Paltrow, 48, <laughs> launched the $75 candle emitting her private scent in January of 2020, which should have told us all how that year was going to go. Right. Um, uh, Thompson, who lives with her partner David Snow, said they threw the flaming candle out the front door. It could have burned the place down. It was scary at the time, but funny looking back that Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle exploded in my living room, she said. <laughs> Paltrow. <laughs> her vagina was um, just everywhere. <laughs> Scent notes include geranium, citrusy, bergamot, and cedar absolutes juxtaposed with damask rose and abret seed, according to Paltrow's online store. This candle started as a joke between perfumer Douglas Little and Gwyneth Paltrow, reads the website. The two were working on a fragrance, and she blurted out, Ah, oh, this smells like a vagina, but it evolved into a funny, gorgeous, sexy, and beautifully expe- unexpected scent that turned out to be a perfect candle, although it does explode. Um, that is a funny st- <laughs> I like that, though. I like that they're like, we should just call it a vagina. Let's just call, we it, just a call it a vagina. It's right? funny. Um, 
Extreme layover. A California man who was afraid to fly because of COVID lived inside the secure area of an O'Hare International Airport terminal for nearly three months before being caught on Saturday, prosecutors said. The man who was found to have an airport worker's misplaced credentials survived largely from other passengers giving him food, Assistant State Attorney Kathleen uh, Kathleen Haggerty said. You're telling me that an unauthorized, non-employee individual was allegedly living with secure uh, within the secure part of the O'Hare Airport terminal from October 19th, 2020 to January 16, 2021, and was not detected? Judge Susana Ortiz asked after hearing allegations. That is correct, Your Honor, Haggerty confirmed in court. <laughs> um, Aditya Singh, 36, arrived at O'Hare's Terminal 2 on a flight from Los Angeles uh, October 19th. He's allegedly been living inside the airport security zone ever since. Saturday morning, two United Airlines employees confronted Singh at the airport about his status and asked to see his work ID. Uh, Singh lowered this COVID, his COVID mask and showed uh, him and showed an airport ID that he wore around his neck. The identification was reportedly stolen by an airport operation, uh, stolen from an airport operations manager on the 26th of October. Uh, according to Haggerty, police took Sen into custody around 11.10 p.m. that day. Uh, Haggerty said Singh admitted he'd found the airport credentials in Terminal 3 and said he was afraid to fly home because of COVID and other passengers just gave him food out of the kindness of their heart. According to his defense attorney, Singh, who has no criminal background, lives in the Los Angeles suburb of Orange, California, he has a master's degree in hospitality. <laughs> Prosecutors charged him with felony criminal trespass to a restricted area of an airport and misdemeanor theft. Wow. Nice, <laughs> God, I man. hate airports. Imagine living in one for three months. Jesus Christ. Uh, always important to moisturize. Every once in a while you come across a product so scandalous that it simply cannot be ignored. Such is the case with this 5G repellent cream found on eBay. The ad states that the lotion is from a brand named Five Guard and charges $36 a unit for it without even giving away the size of the jar. But that's not the most shocking part of this posting. The worst part is that no cream can protect you from 5G waves, um, even partially, <laughs> because there's no proof yet that they even harm you or your skin. In fact, recent studies have shown that 5G is most likely not harmful to human health at all. Um, this hasn't stopped scammers from taking advantage of people's fears and conspiracy theories to sell illegal products claiming to protect them against 5G. Last May, uh, Havine reported that a, uh, a guy made half a million dollars selling a 5G repellent cream. Uh, <laughs> the scammer's website was eventually discovered Discovered by authorities and shut down on April 15th. It was then further reported that the cream he was selling was nothing more than very old Vaseline mixed up with very old sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, it'll definitely take your mind off, uh, I G, guess but, so. Um, and finally, oh, the huge manatee, former WWE wrestler turned Hollywood megastar Dave Batista took to Twitter Tuesday to offer a reward of his own money to help catch a person who defaced a manatee in Florida. Let me mm. say that again. Defaced a manatee in Florida. Batista offers uh, is offering $20,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or people responsible. If there's not already a reward for the arrest and conviction of the low-life scummy uh, maggot that did this. Yeah, because it said <laughs> Trump, right? Isn't that what it said? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That did this. I'll throw in 20000 Batista declared on Twitter. And I promise there will be bonuses to that reward. When it was suggested that the person or person's to abuse the animal should earn a punch in the face from Batista himself. Batista replied, all I'm saying is that there are a lot of Floridians that don't appreciate people fucking with our manatees. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mutilating a helpless animal in support of a deranged dictator is certainly an infuriating thing to do, so it's no surprise Dave Batista would be so upset. But despite that, this should be a time of celebration for Batista, having finally vanquished his foe, fellow WWE Hall of Fame famer, uh, uh, W, uh, excuse me, having vanquished his foe, fellow WWE Hall of Famer President Donald Trump. With Trump <laughs> banned from Twitter, for the first time in a long time, Batista actually felt free to tweet about other stuff. For example, the animal engaged in a lengthy conversation with his followers about bologna sandwiches. <laughs> Go to the <laughs> deli and get it shaved paper thin, Batista recommends. Trust me on this, unless you're frying it. Extra thick in that case. Trust me on this, too. This almost <laughs> feels like this almost feels like Twitter before Trump, he added, just waiting for someone to tell me what a shitty wrestler I was and the experience will be complete. Now, if only <laughs> Batista would offer a reward for someone to rescue me from the basement of <laughs> Bleeding Cool headquarters who wrote this article where I have been held captive for months and forced to churn out an endless supply of clickbait articles. <laughs> <laughs> I had to include that because I love that sign-off. Yeah. And that's this week's smattering of news of I love the weird. It. I, I just want the news to continue being weird and fun like that. Yeah, that's, fun. that's what Instead I Instead of just so, like constantly uh, weird and disturbing. Just, just and constantly. disturbing and sad. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Please, no more. No Man, more good. Me, no. I love it. Also, I just don't understand how this guy got into the airport and then became concerned about getting COVID. It was only after he flew to the you know, airport. Sometimes that... you just have sometimes you just have second thoughts when it's too late. Right. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Seven yeah. months into it? You know what? I feel like maybe this is uh <laughs> this might be bad. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. so, so I'm going to stay know. in a place where people are traveling constantly. I'm to and from places, yeah, other places yeah. that are. Yeah, I feel yeah, like it's... that's not why he was there. I, I, don't, I don't feel, <laughs> or that maybe he just made a bad choice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, anyway, so so tell us about tell us tell our listeners what we're doing this week. This week. And we've realized that a lot of our stories come from Victorian England, specifically. That's a Weird. Bit, yeah. Weird. Uh, so <laughs> uh, a lot of the stories we cover in this podcast have Victorian history behind them. A lot of the opening stories we read are from the Victorian era. This is true. It's not only because they're public domain. That's not the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, I mean, it's... It's, it's part. It's, it's a, a significant reason. reason. It's it's definitely high on the list. Um, but it's also because there are a plethora of ghost stories to choose mm-hmm. from from that particular period in time. That are public but domain. Why? Why is that? <laughs> why? 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 It's like it's like people were dying a lot. A lot, right? Most people tragically, see like the Vic- before their time. Yeah, it's just a lot. Like, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and most people see the Victorian era as prudish and stuffy, but also with this underlying tone of darkness. So, mm-hmm. let's talk industrialization for a second. Rapid uh, industrialization. Uh, Although yeah. it allowed Britain to rise, it brought about many social and economic issues and discussions. The world mm-hmm. around the Victorians was constantly changing, and the culture itself adapted as well. However... Among the many innovations of the era was one constant death. 
It is obvious that coping with one's own mortality is a reoccurring theme in Victorian culture. It permeates every aspect of Victorian life, from literature to the harsh reality of life in Victorian England, plagued with deplorable working conditions for the poor and a rapid increase in murder. Death became such a prevalent aspect of Victorian life that mourning became an art form in their culture, exemplified by Queen Victoria herself. Because uh-huh. of the innovations that happened, there were newer and stranger ways to die than ever before. Death was a part of Victorian life. So we thought, since we talk about ghosts from that area so often, we might as well go into the morbid discussion of what was killing all these people. So today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to talk about deaths in Victorian England. How you might have probably died in Victorian England if you were unlucky enough to be born in that era. Right. Uh, There are multiple ways. What's great is there's so so many many fun ways. ways. Um, They really, the Victorians really innovated uh, manslaughter. Yeah, they were big on it. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, my sources... Our paper by Tara Heimberger titled uh, Victorian Literature from December 2016, Mm -hmm. Um, an article by Harry Rosehill in The Londonist, Dr. Mm -hmm. Susanna Lipscomb on Lipscomb (laughs) on the YouTube channel Absolute (laughs) Absolute History, which I highly recommend. They have some really, really fun videos. So great. They're so great. And they're so well produced. They really are. Like this, it feels like something that I would be watching on the History Channel. But I don't have cable anymore, so I don't watch anything on the History Channel. Uh, So it's really, really good. So first off, I'm going to—we're going to take turns, too. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So I'll go first, and I am going to talk about stairs. (laughs) Always uh, deadly. Let's not forget. This hits hits different because I have fallen down. Uh, the stairs in my own home twice now. Same. Since moving no, here. well, way more so than I've fallen never way more than twice. <laughs> your at least your stairs are carpeted. That's Mine true. are, are solid not. fucking wood, no. and oh, my tailbone remembers. Yeah, I have a lot of cushion too. And you all, whenever you fall, you gotta pick a cheek. Just keep that in mind. Whenever you fall on your butt, you <sighs> yeah. gotta pick a cheek because if you bruise your tailbone, that's a six month recovery minimum. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful, and then you'll uh-huh. be picking a cheek. No matter where you sit for that whole six months. So I don't. Just pick a cheek. That's all I'm saying. Pick a cheek. Pick a cheek. That's good. Good advice. Good advice. Um, I'm going to turn. Sorry. It is so fucking hot in my booth right now that I'm going to turn on my AC in here. So I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm working on a motorcycle. Okay. All right. Turn turn it on. Okay. So first, (laughs) there's something I want to talk about that I came across that I thought was super cool and I wanted you to hear it, Michael. So there's stairs that were designed around death. So there's this staircase at Lock & Company Hatters on St. James Street in London. This uh, building dates back to 1686 when it was a coffee shop run by George Locke. When it was first built, the staircase was so narrow that it was incredibly difficult to maneuver down with a coffin in tow. So if somebody died, the undertakers would charge their deceased family a ton of money to get their family member down all of these flights of stairs. So eventually, the staircase was redesigned with a stairwell with the perfect proportions to lower a coffin down the middle. If you look at the space in the middle of a staircase where you can see all the way down to the ground floor, you know, Mm -hmm. when they spiral up and you can just look straight down the middle, this particular one and there were other ones created at that time period are just large enough to fit a coffin to drop it down there. 
And so this Lock and, <laughs> and, Lock and Co. Hatters on St. James is one of the oldest examples in the country, and it still survives perfectly to this day. So there are other ones as well. So it's kind of like when you're going up one of those spiral staircases in a really old building, you might want to like, look oh, out and see. If, nice to know <laughs> that if, that my coffin would have easy access to the ground floor. That's right. That's right. And it would cost your family less money. Um, oh, but what about <laughs> deaths on stairs, which is really what this is about? I, that was just I mean, a, right. an that's why so, That's why we tuned in. Come on. Yeah. So. <laughs> Basically, at the time, stairs were death traps. <laughs> you could fall down the stairs and die from a fall, or you could break your legs, and uh, a leg or more, <laughs> and die from sepsis, <laughs> since there weren't any antibiotics. Oh. Lots of different oh. ways to die from a fall. Mm. Okay, but there have been stairs for a very long time. Why so many deaths in Victorian England specifically? Well... Let's go back to that whole industrialization conversation. The population of cities were growing a lot. The number of Victorians per square mile went from about 390 in 1871 to 558 by 1901. That's a lot more people. <laughs> Houses were built quickly in small plots with little to no concern about regulation or standardization. To fit this new mass of people, the houses became more narrow, so the ceilings had to get taller to fit multiple floors in a narrow space, and they were about 10 to 12 feet tall. To get to that next floor, the stairs were pretty steep to accommodate that high ceiling. So you're talking stairs that would go 12 feet. Um, that's that's steep. That's a steep stair. In middle-class homes, that's the so steepest steep. and most dangerous stairs were those that led to the servants' quarters. They'd have the decorated fancy stairs that was located in the main part of the house, right? Grand entrance a lot of the times. And the servant stairs were in the back, out of sight. A lot of money was spent on the main staircase because it was a status symbol. But the back stairs were a different story. They were mm -hmm. made of the cheapest, softest wood available. There weren't usually handrails. The steps were sometimes 12 inches high. And that is extra crazy when you consider that the 1847 builder, Peter Nicholson, who had, he had come up with a mathematical formula that used stride and how high the stair was, as well as how deep it was to come up with what was considered the safest step. And I think they still use that kind of formula today. Nicholson said that the width of the staircase should never be less than four feet. But most of the back staircases, as well as staircases in townhomes, that's us, and poorer homes were usually <laughs> two and a half feet wide. I measured mine. I was like, I don't, they're not four feet for sure. And so mine is just over three feet wide. I imagine yours is similar to my staircase. Uh, it's it's a little narrower than yours, I think. It's yeah. about like it's maybe it's almost it's two and a half to two, three quarters. Right. OK. I'd say I'd say I, I don't know, but it's it's definitely... Yeah, it's definitely narrow because I have to yep. walk. I have to walk down it sideways because oh. um, my feet are. Well, I don't have to. It's just safer if I do it because my feet are so big they they overextend over the step right. edge, which makes it more likely that I'll fall because I'll just roll my foot and right. be like. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So, you have to go so I'm sideways. like, I'm gonna walk down sideways like I'm in a show. Yeah. Well, we'll get into some of that as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I guess I'm lucky then. Oh, I've got just over three feet. Woo! Uh, Look at you. <laughs> but the point Living is, the dream. there is a science to building a safe, safe staircase. But with homes going up so quickly in the Victorian era, 
No one gave any of the shits about safety. <laughs> no, they're like, safety? That's that's something poor people think about. Right. So you have your two feet, two feet wide hallways, right? Uh, right. And then you were looking at stairs that were anywhere from 9 to 12 inches high and 7 inches deep. So that's how much space you had to put your foot. Seven inches. That's uh, uh, now imagine having to go down like those stairs, right? So you have to go down those stairs sideways to put your foot on it, and uh, imagine if you had to go down those stairs with a tray in your hands. You couldn't see your feet. You couldn't see where the next step was, and you were most likely doing the sideways thing. You're parallel. There's not room for you. And if you were broader shouldered, I'm sure you know those two feet really crowded you. On top of that, many Victorian homes were built with non-uniform steps, meaning that one might be 11 inches high and the next one might be 10 and a half inches high with varying depths at that. <sighs> it's so like it's a fucking of, fun house. It is, it is. <laughs> um, in that video, I watched a video uh, by Absolute History. They show a subway with 16 stairs, but one of those stairs is a fraction of an inch taller than the other steps, the other steps on that staircase, and like mm -hmm. pe person after person trips on it, because your body gets into a rhythm and can memorize a height pretty yeah. easily. So uh -huh. they go up the stairs and people are tripping over it, and it's it's pretty crazy to watch. A scientist studied this and came to the conclusion: you are more likely to fall on stairs because they're not uniform than for mm -hmm. any other reason. Yep, that makes perfect fucking yeah. sense. Yeah, to this day, stairs remain one of the most common places for accidents in the home. Accidents and maybe hiding murders, allegedly, <laughs> making documentaries about it. But <laughs> I think he's innocent. Okay, uh, but nowadays, <laughs> nowadays there are standards that must be met for staircases to be legally safe. Still deadly, but nowhere nearly as deadly as they were in the Victorian age. Just makes me think of the staircase in the staircase scene in Death Becomes Her, which mm. we watched on Halloween for the first time in years. And I'm oh like, God, oh, that movie's so much fun. It holds up rather well. Like, you yeah. know, the special effects aren't as special as, as they were. They're at special the time in a different way. Because, but but they're but they're good. Like yeah. they serve the story in a way that's extraordinarily clever. So I can forgive them being a little rough around the edges by modern standards. But yeah, that staircase scene is fucking gruesome and <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Oh, staircases, staircases. And now well, we just die by elevators. Yeah, right. And that's uh, one of the things, too, that it is the poor that were suffering a lot of these deaths. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the wealthy. They could use the grand staircase yeah. where everything was, was much safer um, for, you know, staircases. But a poorer home, it, they didn't have a servant staircase. So, you know, uh, right. a lower middle class, middle class, you know, or uh, um, poorer house, they were going to have shitty stairs that you just had to take. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Right. It's it's poor people always pay the when mm -hmm. when poor people always fucking pay the price for progress. Yep. As we'll see in my bit on another popular way to die, yes. apparently in Victorian England. Um, and and I, I, well, we'll get into it. I don't want to <laughs> I want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to be a bit previous. Hey, it's commercial time. Hey, it's commercial time. It's commercial time. <laughs> it's the first month of 2021 commercial time, and hopefully the world will not be ending. Look at that. Look at uh, that. Look at that follow through. Tell you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're here to tell you about our Patreon. Go to patreon.com 
slash Google Intentions. Find out about all of our tiers and ways that you can help support the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. We have two chats coming up for our Discord, which you can also join if you are a member of our Patreon under yes. certain tiers. Look for, look for the Discord tiers. It means you get to uh, talk to on, us. That's right. And then you can chat with us. It's really In fun. real time. Um, in real time. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, 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 on the 16th. We will have a chat for everyone on the Discord at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on the 30th, we will have a chat for our Phantasm tier. Yes. Um, and that is one where they actually talked. We actually all talk. So it's pretty cool. Um, that's all I've got. Thank you for listening to this January commercial for Patreon. <laughs> oh, we love you guys. Join Bye. us. Join join us on Patreon and join us for the chat. We look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Bye. Food processing. Ah. So with the zenith of industrialization created um, by this boom, you know, uh, uh, London, of course, Victorian London became like the center of production. Uh, like it's, it became packed. There was population explosion. So with that um, came a society composed of people almost entirely divorced for the first time in history from the creation of the products they consumed on a daily basis, which was not, which we'd never seen before. And like food that had formerly been made in the home was now churned out by factories, for example. And it would mm. pass through leagues of go-betweens before finally reaching the table. Um, so it, like in previous eras, and for most of human history, merchants were pretty much involved at every stage of the merchandise they hawked, you know, uh, until it was sold. You know, the butcher killed, dressed, weighed, and packaged the wares displayed in his window or on his cart. The baker handpicked his ingredients often. He kneaded the dough. He stoked the fire it was baked on. But with the rapid population growth London saw, due to being the center of industry for the whole fucking world, the way we consumed changed dramatically. And this left the door open to all sorts of exciting new ways to die. Um, you were <laughs> now the last, <laughs> when you're sitting down to eat a piece of bread or drink a glass of milk, you were now the last in a long line of nameless, frequently unscrupulous people who had a hand in making it. So to get the most out of costly production materials and to cut down on overhead, uh, the practice of what's known as uh, adulteration became commonplace among merchants. Essentially, shit that was not fit for human consumption found its way into the Victorian kitchen by way of additives. Um, toward the end of the 19th century, additives uh, were used to lengthen the shelf life of chief staples of the Victorian diet like bread and milk, though there are other examples. I'm going to focus on them because they perhaps had the most adverse effects because of how they were added to. Um, it helped meet increased demand created by the population explosion, but it also put Victorians at the mercy of corrupt merchants, scores of them, each speciali specializing in one or more stages of the food chain and with whom buyers had no real contact. So they couldn't, you know, there was no trust there. There was no, it was really, uh, Hannah Ardent, the, the philosopher writing about the Holocaust, um, a World War II Holocaust was like basically reflected on the sort of banality of evil, like it was possible for these millions and millions of people to be put to death, not because it was a society of psychopathic killers. Um, there were a few of those, of course, but because a society of people who were just like trained to look the other way or felt, well, I have no relationship to the people this is happening to. So what is it? It doesn't bother me. Sound fucking familiar. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's it's this this weird uh, sort of disconnect people felt, you know, the merchants like who fucking cares if this is dangerous? I'm not ever it's never going to hurt me because I'm never going to I'm, I'm the first in, uh, you know, eight, nine 
nine people that are this is going to pass hands with. So I'm, you know, whatever. It's easier for people that wanted to do unscrupulous things to wash their hands, uh, their conscience of the memory of it, because they're like, who am I? I'm one dude. I'm just one little dude. Right. How bad could anything I do possibly be? Yeah. Um. So uh, uh, to Victorian England, profit was God. I mean, that's the whole thing was like you make profit, cut overhead. And so the surest way to make a profit on food was to use the cheapest ingredients available and, of course, to turn around and sell them at a fucking premium. So alternatives to traditional or, you know, that is to say more expensive ingredients weren't just cheaper. They also added weight, color, texture and quote unquote desirability across multiple dimensions of the product. So it made it kind of created a, you know, it created a market for people that are like, oh, this is good bread. I like this. You know, they they would put shit in the bread, for example, that completely made it look different, like the bread they were used to. It made it more uniform, more attractive, and it created this taste for that kind of bread, even though it was really unnatural. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it, I get to be that. Clear, I love gummy bears. That's not natural. <laughs> well, ex exactly. Now, to be clear, adulteration has been part of the food business for centuries, of course, but it had never been practiced on this scale before that we were seeing in the 19th century. So happy to have someone else do the baking for a change, unsuspecting housewives would buy loaves of uh, bread cut with chalk, iron sulfate, even plaster of fucking Paris. Oh, my God. Um, uh, but the prices made it more than worth the time saved in the kitchen. And, you know, who doesn't mind a little bit of plaster of Paris so long as it's saved? You know, it means I don't have to fucking cook at the kitchen for four hours to make bread for my fucking husband who's, you know, going to be drunk when he comes home. <laughs> the biggest additive or adulterate for bread at the time was alum, a hydrated double sulfate of aluminium and potassium prized by bakers for its ability to whiten lower grades of flour and make them uh. look more attractive. Um, the push to regularize it created an appetite for white bread, whereas nowadays the ideal loaf to us is kind of earthen looking and whole grain infused to Victoria to, to Victorians white bread was considered the pinnacle of healthy eating <laughs> just, just right. to show you like we don't know the fuck we're talking about we're like that's healthy no you don't know yeah. um someone just told you that's healthy so you're like, oh, it's green it must be whatever um as alum also retains water loaves baked with it felt heavier and more substantial so of course they sold in droves all because it was very cheap to make and it was easy to fool people into believing they were getting something really good for themselves now small amounts of alum are harmless trouble is with so many people involved in the food making process from stage from A to Z, uh, each concerned primarily with his share of the profit, alum was now being added at multiple stages. Oh. So whereas a century earlier, the local baker might bake a pinch of alum into the loaves on his rack, now milliners would put a little put in there to make their ingredients look attractive to the baker. The baker would put it in there to make the loaves look attractive. The, just the, the merchant who put them on the display would put a little more in there to make it look more attractive. So now, you know, so so uh, from mill milliners, transporters, bakers, merchants were each now throwing in the alum to make the loaf more valuable to the next guy down the line, of which said unsuspecting housewife was, of course, the last. So she, poor soul, now had a loaf infused with a potentially lethal dose. Adults may not have been particularly susceptible to alum poisoning. They had many other things to worry about, which we'll see. But apart from the chronic gastritis that came, uh, apart from the chronic gastritis that came with it, which was just a part of daily life if you were middle to poor class mm. in uh, Victorian England, hell, as I think that's true now. Um, but as <laughs> yeah. the average worker ate two loaves of bread a day, and that bread was so adulterated that even calling it bread is dubious, malnutrition was rampant among the working classes because they weren't they were having more alum than they were anything you know that their body actually needed. So even though right. the alum may not have poisoned them because they were uh, their body bodies were developed enough to kind of acclimate it, they weren't getting the nutrients they 
were tricked into thinking they were getting. Right. Um, which, and of course, when you're malnourished, that opens your body up to a whole host of infections and maladies that otherwise you wouldn't have to worry about, like scurvy, things like that, which are fucking awful. Um, but going back to the, the gastritis, which is the most typical symptom or the most, uh, I shouldn't say symptom, the most typical effect of eating uh, large con uh, concentrations of alum, uh, it may not be that awful to adults, just a kind of uh, way of life, but to children of the period, it mm. could and often was fatal. Chronic diarrhea spelled death for adolescents that were, say, toiling away in a workhouse, you know? Yeah. So, now, bread, of course, wasn't the only culprit. Tea was also adulterated with everything from fucking iron fillings to black lead. Green tea was likely as not augmented with Prussian blue, all incredibly lethal in any dose. Now, the use of colorants also became the, nord, uh, became the norm. Lead chromate, which we now use to paint school buses, was frequently added to products marketed as mustard to make it look like it had made with, you know, actual fucking mustard. So the real thing was expensive. So they were like, well, let's just make it look like the real thing, even if it, the things we have to use to do that are fucking deadly. Borax was sold as a miracle product at the time. Its mm. use in milk to disguise the taste of spoilage was even touted by a Mrs. Beaton, the sort of Martha Stewart of her day, whose home ec advice made it into just about every house of the period. Toxic as Borac is, for the love of God, we still fucking use it as a cleaning agent now, the dosage in milk was generally small enough to, to preclude direct poisoning. So it's not that that caused death from drinking Victorian milk. It's the fact that borax disguised that it was bad. the effects of spoilage. Um, so odds were you were drinking bad milk that tasted fine. And as a result, all manner of harmful germs associated yeah. with it would flourish in your body. Yeah. Brucella, a camphor labacher, uh, uh, labacher, I don't know how to say any of these. That they sound really awful. That sounded really good, though. It feels um, like you know. Cryptosporidium, E. coli, Listeria, Salmonella, even the bacterium that causes bovine tuberculosis, a particularly insidious form of TB that forgoes the usual pulmonary symptoms and instead attacks your internal organs directly with, with no outward symptoms until it's too late. Oh, how um, nice. It can also create abscesses in your vertebra that result in fucking spinal collapse. Almost ah. every child living in London in the late 19th century was exposed to bovine TB through the practice of adding borax to their milk. That's a whole generation brought to the brink of extinction by greed. Roughly mm -hmm. half a million children succumbed. Wow. Uh, we know this. Less well-known are the long-term effects on those who survived. A concerned physician named Sir Arthur Hill Hassel, or Hassel, took it upon himself to tackle the problem and identified no less than 2,500 commonly adulterated foods. The outcry created when his findings were published in a paper called The Lancet led to the first wave of legis legislation meant to regulate the food processing industry. Alas, enforcement on the scale needed for wide systemic change just wasn't practical at the time. Keen to the times, merchants paid lip service to the idea of public health, um, uh, but went right on hedging their bets and adding uh, adulterations. So for all their concern, the average consumer just wasn't sharp enough to spot unscrupulous practices, and many of them paid with their life just wow. for eating fucking bread and giving your kids milk. Wow. I didn't yeah. realize it was yeah. that to that level. Yeah. Oh, it was insane. I mean, it's it's insane enough that we're still talking about it a hundred and some odd years on. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fucking crazy. It's fuck. And the thing is, 
I'm sure as life goes on, we this kind of shit still happens. Like right. the Victorians just kind of where it kind of got famous. <laughs> right. But we well, still do and it now. sometimes they didn't know. It was after it I think one of the mm-hmm. things I found out like looking into some of this stuff is that they didn't know at first. And then they found out and then they were like, "Yeah, but Money. They were like, I mean, I think you're just, it's whatever, fake news. Right, exactly, exactly. And so now, um, and so then, you know, after everybody found out, finally they would have to make adjustments. But, mm-hmm. um, and that is that is definitely true in the case in my next one, which is Uh-oh. wallpaper. <gasps> oh, wallpaper. So uh, another thing that started on a whole nother level in the Victorian era was consumerism. Right. Mm -hmm. The cost of necessary goods like food and decor dropped significantly. Well, decor wasn't necessary, but food that the price of food and stuff like that, that you had to have to survive, that dropped significantly, which left some other money around. Uh, And it had never been like that before. Before industrialization, it was much, much uh, more simple for the average person. Right. They didn't have a lot of decor. They didn't have a lot of extra things in their house. They had exactly what they needed. No more, no less. Um, It was practical. You like to live simply because you had so much other shit to get on with during the day. Yes, you were too busy to worry about Mm -hmm. what the walls looked like. And it was dark anyway. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, (laughs) uh, but things rapidly changed. The saying might not have been there, but the idea of keeping up with the Joneses really kicked into high gear around this time. Making the house a home was also a new idea that people embraced. The Great Exhibit of 1851 in London inspired people to invest in gadgets and home goods. Everything was accessible, and it was quality as well. This is when the phrase standard of living first appeared. For the first time in history, you measured how good your life was by how many objects you owned. Of course, there were guides, like what you said, the the Martha Stewart of her time. There yeah, were yeah, guides Mrs. that Mrs. followed. Mrs. Beaton. Yes, you had to have them. There were specific ones you had to have, and numerous ones too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you followed them to make sure was... your home was designed and in good taste. Good taste was considered a moral quality Yep. as well. So your design... I mean, I, I can get behind that right, personally. Like, yeah, like this house is not designed well. I feel like there's bad morality. I don't I just it. feel like the design principles here are unethical. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but color was very popular, right? It was, it was a newer thing to have color available. And it was a great way to showcase your taste. Mm-hmm. And... and to showcase your taste in color, wallpaper mm. was a great, great resource, right? The oh. richer and the more elaborate, <laughs> the better. You think of those, um, the the gathering, the drawing rooms, right? And just how right. like a clusterfuck a design of color and of prints oh and, God. you know, it's, it's just, like the, uh, there was everything. There was so much stuff in those drawing rooms. Yeah. Um, but also, this is the first time there was gas lighting at night. And during the day, depending on where you lived. But people could actually see and enjoy this intense color on their walls. Wallpaper Mm. became somewhat of a craze at this point. For example, about one million pieces of wallpaper were sold in 1834. One million. By 1874, 32 million. 
Jesus. So it was. Can you imagine? It's a lot of wallpaper. <laughs> imagine the first person trying to sell that as an idea. It's like it's like the person trying to make fetch happen. You know, it's like like it's like yeah. if I came to you tomorrow and I was like, Jamie, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but hear me out. The next fad. Wallpaper. Floor spots. Floor spots. <laughs> Floor spots. Explain yeah. it to me. Let's talk. Let's yeah. market a product. <laughs> um, so green was a wallpaper color recommended by all the best guides. In particular, there was a shade of green that was very rich and bright. In fact, the colors were rec- they were recommended specific colors based upon who what you like ethical colors or you know this is a this is a shade for savages you know stuff like that so right right there were the discerning housewife would never paint red exactly she's a woman of loose virtue orange or a red a reddish orange was a savage color so i mean it's just crazy and but there's uh, one particular shade of green that was very rich very bright and it was called shields green after the swedish scientist that first mixed the pigment back in 1775 mm. it was extremely vivid and it did not fade which meant it was used in everything carpets candles children's toys but most often it was used in industrial quantities in wallpaper as wallpaper sales increased, so did unexplained deaths in the home. Except that it's not all that unexplained. The ingredient that gave the green its rich hue was arsenic. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, don't. <laughs> whoopsies. <laughs> all the ghosts. Uh, oh, oh. If you look through even a sample book, a sample wallpaper book from that time, which were, I mean, uh-huh. everybody had them to choose their wallpaper. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you touch it, you will have arsenic on your hands. So you've got it like it. They're lo- it's just loaded with arsenic. Um, Murder so, mystery plot idea. Yeah, those <laughs> drawing rooms. Then the carpet would have arsenic. The wallpaper would have arsenic. Uh, like other fabrics in there would have arsenic if it was a green room, which I totally would have had a green room. <laughs> but um, now the effects of arsenic were not as well known as they are now. In fact, the symptoms of arsenic poisoning are also they're similar to that of cholera which was mm. kind of an issue at the time. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little, a little bit of it. Uh, the immediate effects would, be, effects would be pain and swelling of the esophagus, dry throat, and difficulty swallowing. Then you move on into agonizing abdominal pains because your entire digestive tract is getting fucked. After that, that's the best way to put it. It's just getting fucked. Um, After that, you'd have vomiting and diarrhea before you finally died, which was considered a blessing by the time you got around to the dying part. It was not a fun way to die. Of course, children might get a hold of the wallpaper and chew on it, right? Then they would die Mm -hmm. from arsenic poisoning from ingesting it. But more than just Mm -hmm. touching and ingesting the wallpaper, thanks to a chemical reaction, there was a much sneakier way the wallpaper killed Victorians. Uh, Poisonous fumes permeated the air they were breathing. If the wallpaper started to come off, you'd breathe in arsenical dust. But also, these homes weren't centrally heated, and they were in London. So they were generally damp, (laughs) right? Uh So if you add together dampness, the wallpaper paste, the cellulose, which was uh, the wallpaper itself, right? It's made out of a cellulose material. Yeah. You get a fungal growth. The fungi would interact with the arsenic and create a more powerful arsenic. Would it like 
make arsenic, would it spore? Yes. Like, would it do the thing where it's like, and yes. it would like basically be shooting fucking fungal arsenic into the air? Yes. <gasps> yes. Oh. It would just catch on the breeze and blow through your house. Oh. Your house, where the windows were usually closed because of all the smog outside. So you would just oh be God. sitting in a fog of arsenic. Fungal smog. Fungal fog. arsenic smoggy fog. <laughs> yeah. Smog. Oh. Yeah, and it turns ah. out it doesn't matter how you get arsenic into your body, eating it, touching it. Through the skin, breathing it in, whatever yeah, it, it is. The it goal, wants to kill you, and it, it wants to kill you It wants you to bad. kill you, and it does it by getting into your bloodstream. The Aww. wallpaper was usually in the drawing room. So if you weren't in that, this is what made it confusing, too. If you weren't in that room a lot, you'd experience a slower poisoning. And with a slow poisoning over time, the symptoms would be rather vague. And that made it more difficult to diagnose what was going on. Also, people would get sick, and then to feel better, they'd go out... Uh, on vacation, they'd leave and go on holiday to a spa or to the sea, like, and I, so they get fresh air. I chose air. this hotel. I, ho- I chose this hotel because the wallpaper is so lovely. <laughs> well, what would happen though is they'd end up going and staying somewhere that didn't have the wallpaper, right? Because it was like a spa thing, so it was very clean. Uh, oh yes, and not a lot of that. So they would get away from the arsenic, feel better, come home, get sick again. So it was like this weird pattern that would happen. It's a great time to run a spa. Right. Eventually, we don't have any arsenic in our spa. Uh, Just just the water. Uh, Now arsenic free. (laughs) uh, Eventually, some doctors started finding out what was going on. Germany outright banned wallpapers made from arsenic. The wallpaper companies, though, did not want word to get out that their product could quite literally kill you. So they fought against doctors for a long time. Some doctors and journalists called on the government to ban arsenic and wallpaper, but the, what I assume to believe um, are worthy, I believe in God, not science crowd at the time, belittled them. (laughs) (laughs) Again, fake news. The Uh, more things change, the more they stay the same. They stay the same, yeah. Wallpaper manufacturers even offered to eat their own wallpaper to prove how safe it was. Uh, one of the leading ma- wallpaper manufacturers and the leader in the arts and crafts movement was William Morris. He was also a critic of the heartless industrialists of the Victorian era. But what most people don't know about William Morris is that he was an owner of the largest arsenic-producing mine in the entire world. Oh, God. He made money, all of his money, the, I mean, the, his fortune, from producing arsenic. One report said that there was enough arsenic produced from his mind, from his mind, not his mind, from his mind, <laughs> arsenic <laughs> mind. There was enough arsenic produced from it to kill the entire world. It's like that's some Bond villain shit right, right? here. Uh, so when someone wrote to him complaining about arsenic in his wallpaper, he replied saying it was just witch fever. Basically, the doctors that were warning about arsenical wallpaper were making it up. It was fake news, right? That's not true. That's not really how it is. Finally, the evidence became impossible to deny, to deny. But it wasn't until Queen Victoria stood up against the wallpaper that people started to really pay attention. A diplomat had stayed over at her residence in a room that had just been wallpapered in that shield green. And he died overnight. Got sick, keeled over that night. Uh, whoopsies, green room ghost. The government never actually <laughs> banned arsenical wallpaper in England, though. 
Arsenical wallpaper got canceled by consumerism. People stopped buying it because they disagreed with certain death, so the manufacturers stopped producing it. <laughs> Morris Wallpapers, along with other brands, even started marketing their wallpaper as arsenic-free. By 1872, the guides had switched to safer printing as well. Mm. One other thing about mm. this wallpaper to consider Arsenic is a class one carcinogen. So if you lived uh -huh. most of your life around this wallpaper in your arsenic fog, there's a decent chance it would have given you cancer. So tr the truth of the matter is we'll never know how many people actually died because of Victorian wallpaper. Those <laughs> vagina candle strikes again. Why does my bathroom smell like <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina? <laughs> What's a Gwyneth Paltrow? Um, What's Gwyneth Paltrow? Oh, you know someone was named Gwyneth Paltrow back then. She was like, you know, Duchess of Flabberfron. Um, <laughs> now, ancient Romans may have invented plumbing, but Victorians brought it to a whole new level by inventing the indoor bathroom. With the advent of running mm. water in the home, uh, reserving a room dedicated to it seemed like the next logical step, and the Victorians, ever the progressives, did so. Baths, previously cumbersome affairs taken near the fire or by servants hauling pails of hot water from the kitchen to wherever you had your, your little tub, could now be enjoyed in relative private in a room reserved just for that purpose. No longer was some poor soul tasked with emptying the chamber pot, a, <laughs> um, which is blah, 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 a drain coupled with a revolutionary flushing mechanism now transported your shit out of sight and out of mind. Viva la revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Miracle. Now, Baths were all the rage among the middle class. It allowed you to scrub away any association with the smelly working class with whom you might share a train or the sidewalk while on the way to market. Cleanliness was next to godliness, after all. <laughs> That's so in, new, that was a new idea, too. Yeah. That so in one of clean. my favorite ironies of all time, this old adage turned out to be literally true. Um... <laughs> the wild popularity of baths, driven by this obsession uh, to, to distance oneself from the poor, outpaced any concern over the dangers this new technology posed. Um, case in point, the thermostat was only invented in hindsight. <gasps> Built on the same principle <laughs> as my stove, baths were heated by a gaslit flame beneath the tub, which so was often just metal. So getting hot. I mean, it's like Bugs Bunny, like being, you know, roasted. put in a stew. You know what I mean? Now, while instruction manuals cautioned users not to light the gas jet before the tub was filled. Yeah, that's uh, like telling me not to go to bed with a, with a heating pad. I'm doing it. Fuck you, I'm doing it. <laughs> they, they, they didn't think to warn bathers not to leave the, fly, the fire going whilst they bathed. So mm. hapless bathers, soothed by the warm water, would slowly drift off to sleep. And awake just in time to feel their skin peeling off from ah! third-degree burns. Horrific deaths by scalding became so regular that newspapers of the day reserved a special section for them. I would have um, read that every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, maybe that. Maybe in my movie, the name Stuart suddenly becomes less popular. <laughs> <laughs> a little too close to home. Uh, yeah, okay, so fine. No hot baths then. Okay, we can do that. But can I still at least take a dump and have it flush from the home without worry, right? No, Wrong. no. Early waste disposal <laughs> Early waste disposal tech was an exercise in trial and error, and error frequently resulted in death. 
That turd may disappear from the bowl like magic, but odds are it got stuck at some badly designed joint in the pipe under your house, uh, and it would block it and fill the sewer with reams of highly volatile methane gas. The poor bastard who would be assigned often by the city or whatever company was in charge of the sewage system at the time, who was assigned to clear out the blockage, would arm himself with a candle to light his way and would quickly find himself blown to smithereens because fire and methane create boom. Um, this is the vapors. This is part of the vapors. It's the yeah. vapors, and this and this was these were think when when these like these cisterns or or whatever you want to call them the beneath the city blocks you know filled with methane gas and if the poor bat crawled down there with with a you know a flame, it would blow up and it would blow him to smithereens, but also take out an entire fucking city block with it. Wow. This wasn't just a little fart. You know, this yeah. wasn't like a massive fart. This was like someone setting off a bomb. Uh, sometime the neighborhood would get lucky and the gas would rise back just through the toilet drain and asphyxiate just the single family household. It's just that, <laughs> that little That was thing. if they were lucky. Yeah. Um, wow. and, <laughs> I love this detail. Eventually, a revolutionary invention known as the siphon valve was created, which mitigated the danger of blockage. Uh, it circulated the gas in such a way as to draw it away from the home um, and keep it pumping into the sewers at a rate that kept it from accumulating in dangerous amounts. Um, so this revolutionized plumbing and and shitting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and my favorite detail that I'm gonna end this segment on, <laughs> the name of the inventor, no shit, Thomas Crapper. I love it. That's amazing. So there it, there it is, you know? <sighs> <laughs> so the Victorians may have thought their shit didn't stink, but it sure was fire. It was. Uh, <laughs> That's a shitty ghost. <laughs> <laughs> what a way Whoopsie. to go. I mean, can you imagine you're going into your Beetlejuice offices to after you die, and they're like, how did you die? I got exploded by a shit bomb. That's, that was shit, my yeah, death. So. Yeah. Now, how did it's you funny, die? Like, At I least it wasn't that. I think outside of one of the Disney World, Disneyland haunted mansions where they have like the little joke headstones while you wait in line that you can read. And one of them, I think something was like blown upward out of sight. He saw the gas leak by candlelight. And now I'm like, takes on new meaning now. <laughs> yeah. Different kind of gas leak. Oh, Merry Christmas. Heavens. Shitter was full. Well, all right. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> normally I think when we hear the vapors, and of course the vapors could be the wallpaper, the vapors could be, this is why we went with the vapors. But normally when you hear I have, a, you know, I'm, I've got the vapors. It's um, in Victorian England that was said as a, for a woman who was very delicate. And, and that was a very much a moral issue as well. She wanted, you wanted her to be de delicate and fragile to show her breeding. She didn't, she wasn't hard and harsh from work. She was, delicate from breeding delicate, um, and so right. she might get a case of the vapors which only demonstrated how fragile and delicate she was um, but in reality <laughs> she was wearing it just a corset makes me think of farts. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about is a corset okay not unlike today your appearance in the Victorian era was extremely important a corset was essential to meet the silhouette expectations of the day which in the later part of uh, the 19th century was a, your spine making an S. It was real weird. <laughs> but they represented reserve, which was a morality issue at the time as well. If you weren't reserved, you were wild. 
No one wanted to be wild back then. We were moving away from wildness and to culture and, you know, all of those things. So we were, we were taking baths, right? We were clean. We weren't wild. Mm-hmm. And so it was about mm-hmm. being reserved. The corset predates the bra. Its original purpose was to support the chest and help hold up up to 14 pounds of clothing. But at what price? Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> First of all, In the 1860s and 70s, corsetry became increasingly extreme. The fashion art was drawn, so women were literally trying to meet the standards of comic books, right? God. (laughs) And I mean, it ain't natural. It ain't that those pictures when you see them with those tiny little waists—that's what they would see. Yeah, I have trouble like understanding why that look was so desirable. But well, that's what they would see, and then they would think, "I need to look like that." It's like in the '90s, you had Uh these super skinny uh models. Well, at the time, we thought they were super skinny, and it was like, "I gotta look like that," but I'm so hungry, and you know, it was problematic. So, (laughs) but at the time, you had corsets that would help you get there. How restrictive your corset was depended on several factors, your age, your class, your occupation, and how fashion forward you were. It was recommended that corsets should be worn all the time. If you didn't wear your corset, well, you might as well start selling your body, you whore. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You loose woman. Loose. Why, even the, even the ladies of the evening wore corsets. Uh, Some women actually wore them day (laughs) and night to train their bodies to look that way. Today, we have waist trainers that basically do the same thing, and if they're too tight, they will have the same effects. Like, what What? what effects? Well, <laughs> the corsets were made of whalebone and steel, and one small technological advance made them deadly. The metal eyelet. This is that metal oh. round part that the laces go through that tighten the corset. The metal eyelet allowed women to tighten their corset tighter than ever before. The fabric would no longer tear, no matter how tight you got it. So what's the problem? Well, the corset brings the ribs in quite a bit to give you a tiny waist. If you want your waist to be small, your ribs have to collapse into your body as well. And that uh, squishes your uh, guts in various ways. For example, there are livers taken from women who died at the time period uh, that have ridges in them from their rib cage being squished uh, into their livers. Just like it looks like knuckles, but it's it's their liver. Um, <laughs> the stomach would have been pushed downwards as the ribs were squished in, which would force the lower abdominal cavity to try to make room for it. But as we know, the lower abdominal cavity is already full of guts. Where does it go? It just all gets squished. They even had pregnancy corsets. A problem with corsets after pregnancy, so they're pregnancy corsets, and then you would put your corset back on after you had your baby. But there was a problem with that. Right, but... Because your lower pelvic wall was was no longer as strong as it was before. It takes some time to get that back. So if you wore it right away, your uterus might prolapse. And those, for those who don't know what that means, that's when your uterus literally just falls out of your vagine. <laughs> that's, that's what it means. <laughs> I, I just, I'm not, I just feel, oh, God. I'm, oh, so you oh, had like sympathy, sympathy pangs. Yeah, that's possible, especially if you had a lot of kids. Um, but then also, you know, your intestines were all squished. Um, you had, you know, lots of intestinal problems, right? Digestive Mm -hmm. issues, things like that. 
And the other problem was, you know, the one we normally think about, breathing. <laughs> a corset restricts your breathing yeah. when you are at rest. When you're active, though, a corset will force you into almost hyperventilating. You breathe <sighs> about 25% faster with a, uh, with a corset than without one. And if you were tight-laced, which is when they really got you tight, that was uh, – <laughs> I have it written. You, you were squished until your soul almost left your body. Um, it was even worse. It was even harder to breathe. And so you had women that were tight-laced that were still perhaps working in a household, cooking or cleaning or doing stuff, and they were still laced pretty tightly. Um, so even though, you know, the higher classes would have this super tight laced and fashion forward stuff and they wouldn't necessarily be doing as much, all women were corseted. It didn't matter what their job was. All of them were corseted. So how could that cause death? Well, not taking deep breaths and getting enough air into the bottom of your lungs is problematic, to say the least. It predisposes you to pneumonia, which at the time was extremely deadly. Also, if a woman had an underlying problem, the lack of oxygen or squished up innards would not be great for her. Take, for example, rickets. Rickets is a condition that results in weak or soft bones in children. A tight corset could deform a girl's ribs. There are stories of corsets also being so tight that the rib would snap and pierce into the lungs, which would make it really fucking hard to breathe, mostly because oh. you were dead. Uh, by the oh. end... <laughs> it's very hard to breathe Very hard dead. to breathe when you're dead. By the end of the 19th century... Women were much more active and getting fed up with corsets. It took a lot of time to get dressed, and they wanted to do other things besides spend 20 minutes getting laced into a corset every morning. And that's just oh. one part of your dress. If you look into, like, the dressing in Victorian England, that was a very intense process for ladies. <laughs> it took a long time. And more than one person. Um, oh. So uh, the vote for women also started to turn things around. If women were equals, they didn't need to be dressed up like an ornament to be admired by women, by men. Women didn't want to ruin their health just so they looked right for men. Well, some women didn't. Some women still do that, and it's silly. But anyway, that's not the point. The Rational Dress Society spearheaded the anti-corset campaign, which was established in 1881. The chair and editor of the Rational Dress Gazette was none other than Constance Wilde, wife of who you ah, mentioned before, yes. Oscar Wilde. I love that we keep coming back to the Wilde I man. know. It's great. <laughs> the ra and the, uh, one of the quotes was, The Rational Dress Society protests against the introduction of any fashion in dress that either deforms the figure, impedes the movement of the body, or in any way tends to injure health. Consumerism canceled the popularity of corsets as well. Women did still wear and do still wear corsets. Shit, so do men. But it's not necessarily to make an S shape in your spine. I love a corset and a corseted look myself, but I don't know if I'll ever not want to wear soft clothes again, to be honest. I can't imagine, <laughs> though. Yeah. How, can we, we're never, how are we ever going to go back? I don't know. But living in that space now, the idea of having to wear a corset just to walk around my house Fucking get them, Constance. Mm -hmm. Like, no, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, wild, that's the course. Wild came from damn good stock. That's right. Uh, well, no, that's it. that was his wife. Oh, sorry. Well, yeah, sorry. I was confused Constance with his mother, oh. who was also a badass woman. Yeah. Um, so, well, just Wild surrounded himself with badass women, and that's probably that's right. why he was And you might be wondering, too. but wasn't Oscar Wilde gay? Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. 
Uh, they Look, still got married. Fewer people like the surrounding themselves with <laughs> with women than gay men. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We just like, you know, we like having people that are smart and relatable around us. Um, <laughs> and hot guys. Um, <laughs> so we relate. Anyway, so I guess we'll bring it home with uh, how household stuff could kill you. But yes. specifically, we're going to look at how household stuff could kill, well... Let me just get into it. You were talking about the out, the arsenic in the wallpaper thing, which sounds like you know. Again, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna try to hawk that as a murder mystery plot idea. <laughs> you uh, if it hasn't already been done, I'm sure it has. But so, even with the relative advances in medicine during the Victorian era, childhood mortality rates were still staggering. Um, the kids that survived among the middle and upper classes, at least, were treated like pets. I mean, to be spoiled, mm. pampered, cherished. And this was kind of a new idea, uh, at least in Britain. This sparked a number of movements to uh, abolish child labor, which by, by fits and starts did slowly go the way of arsenic wallpaper. Ironically, though, this newfound adoration of youth created a new consumer market, toys. And those toys, oh, well. <laughs> often oh, no. brightly painted so as to catch a child's eye from the street, these often elaborately cla- crafted playthings adorning shop windows throughout London got their color from paint laden with toxic metals, lead, of course, being the number one ingredient and the biggest danger. This despite the fact that we've known lead to be toxic since ancient Rome. Mm. But the fact is, lead is just uniquely effective at preserving wood, so it gets used a lot in toy making. Mm. No amount of lead, no amount of lead is safe for the human body. And even in small quantities can have long-term ill effects. Being, of course, smaller and in the midst of their bodily development, children were horribly susceptible to lead poisoning. Also, what child ever resisted treating their toys like a tasty snack? So, you know, you hand them, mm. you know, something that's painted that uh, that bright color, they're going to lick it, they're going to teeth on it, you know, they're, it's whatever. So, you know, I, flakes of lead would be ingested. Now, unlike most toxic substances, lead doesn't taste particularly bad. So if you're some hapless toddler cutting your teeth on that bright red train set, there's no noxious flavor to ward you off. Mm. And now what does lead poisoning do? That mm, thing. Well, symptoms symptoms vary depending on the individual, of course, and the duration of exposure. Some tend to be nonspecific and subtle enough in the early stages to make detection almost impossible. They usually develop over weeks and months as lead accumulates in the body from chronic exposure, but acute symptoms have been known to arise after only brief exposure in some people. Symptoms from exposure to organic lead, which is probably more toxic than inorganic lead due to its uh, lipid solubility, occur rapidly. Lead attacks the central nervous system, often resulting in insomnia, delirium, cognitive deficits, tremors, hallucinations, convulsions, etc., etc., etc. It's like lead poisoning is like living in 2020. <laughs> um, it's just one long panic attack. Right. Symptoms may be different in adults and children, but the main symptoms in adults are headache, abdominal pain, memory loss, kidney failure, male reproductive problems, weakness, pain, or tingling in the extremities. In children, the symptoms produce effects remarkably similar to severe cases of ADHD. Huh. Early, early symptoms of lead poisoning in adults are commonly nonspecific and include depression, 
loss of appetite, intermittent abdominal pain, nausea, diarrhea, constipation, muscle pain. Other early signs in adults include malaise, fatigue, decreased libido, and trouble sleeping. An unusual taste in the mouth and, person and personality changes are also early signs. Mm. Now, when at high concentrations in the blood, lead produces neo, uh, neuropsychiatric effects like delayed reaction times, irritability, difficulty concentrating, decreased motor and nerve, uh, uh, decreased motor nerve conduction, and frequent headaches. Mm. Anemia is also common. Signs of uh, encephalopathy can also occur. That's when you get swelling, basically swelling uh, of uh, the brain right. cavity. Um, uh, in general, much lower levels of lead can cause the same array of symptoms, including encephalopathy, strange behavior, poor co coordination, and apathy. In acute poisoning, typical neurological signs are pain, muscle weakness, numbness, tingling, and sometimes inflammation of the brain. Oof. Though the malady was notoriously difficult to diagnose, in 1840, a physician named Dr. Henry Burton identified a sure sign, bluish-gray discoloration at the base of the gums and the teeth. Oh. These came to be known as Burton's lines, and they were a great way yeah. to, to, to spot that someone had just had a little too much lead in their diet. <laughs> Trouble is, by the time these presented, it was too late. Um. The lead had already taken its toll, and there was no way of going back. So children had, I mean, it's no way, the children you know, may not have died. Uh, certainly not as many children died from lead poisoning in those days from chewing on their toys as they did from, say, bovine tuberculosis from drinking borax-laced milk. But... Um, whole generations had developmental problems that mm. we don't, I mean, we, we, there's no way to measure the effects of what this had, uh, of lead had on children who ingested it and right. developed, you know, and developed de cognitive disorders or emotional, uh, you know, mental health issues because of it over time. And this was, of course, an era when mental health was very poorly understood. So it's just the perfect storm of, you know, a lot of people coming to adulthood with issues that were little understood that came from, you know, I, I'm still convinced that the Karen phenomenon we're experiencing in our own day of uh, this this uptick of mm -hmm. people that just seem to be crazily entitled and lose their shit at the thought of having to do simple things like wearing a mask or, or you know, deal with a, a person of color walking down the street near their home. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly think that the, these people and I'm not the, I, this isn't originally my idea. I'm just I forget where it comes from. But I think these people were lead poisoned. I think it was lead piping in the water uh, in the water pipes that, that they're fed into their old ass schools that they all went to because it's right. all lead was still very pop like lead Pain. in other countries like Sweden, uh, Sweden and uh, most of the European countries banned the use of lead in in household objects and certainly in paint by the 20s. It did not become uh, it did not get enough. Uh, um, it did not get banned in the UK until the 19 fucking 70s. Wow. So well, you know something there, else and, happened and in certainly the 70s here too. that makes me wonder that as well. The, um, mm. in so cholesterol became oh, it's terrible. Cholesterol's awful, right? In the 70s, that's right. when everybody started to find out. And it was it was just a fell swoop, like all cholesterol is bad, mm -hmm. right? That's what that's what they said. All cholesterol is bad. So there was a movement in formula, baby formula, to take out the cholesterol. Yes. So they would say cholesterol-free mm -hmm. free formula mm -hmm. because it, it was better. Cholesterol is bad for you, except if you are a baby and your brain is developing, you need a lot of cholesterol. Breast milk yes. has it. 
uh, uh, clustrum. Isn't that what it's called? But it's it, the first thing they get so. is just like a, it's just give them all the cholesterol is kind of what it is. It's natural. And that's what yeah. they need for brain development. And so a lot of these kids grew up having developmental issues because they were not getting the cholesterol exactly. that they needed. And so it makes mm-hmm. me wonder if that mm-hmm. might be some of the things as well. That Sure. I bet. I bet. I mean, the thing is, the products we consume every day, like put us at risk of all sorts of things that we don't understand because there's really no incentive for the for the people that produce the stuff to really look very deeply into it. And, you know, unless they're like, well, unless it's going to become a huge problem that's very identifiable. I mean, look at the opiate crisis. Right. Like that happened. They fucking knew what would happen, but they, they measured it in, in my opinion, allegedly. Uh, they basically looked at the at the possibility of fallout and decided eh, it, it wasn't going to cost enough compared to what they were going to make to like as much just go ahead and make money i mean like the, the fact of the matter is we are sold products every day by people who just don't have our health as a priority because it is expensive mm-hmm. and costly but um, that is it, but what's it great cuts about the bottom line by worrying about people's health yeah you know yeah uh, well and and what we can learn from the victorian era is that consumerism is the most powerful tool so when, you know, people are, oh, anti-cancel culture, shit's been canceled for a long time for good fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Cancel arsenic wallpaper. We need to do that. There are certain things we need to cancel. Cancel racist fuckers, you know? <laughs> like, let's let's cancel the my pillow guy. Yeah, he's terrible. Yeah, God. Uh, he's trying well, to overthrow I mean, the government. These people believe in the market. Let the market speak. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That's consumerism. I love when consumerism these fuckers get hoist the by true, their own petard. Yeah, so we consumers stand up and say, I don't want to drink poison anymore, well, then they they listen and they're like, fine, I guess we're going to have to stop poisoning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or we're going to have to poison in a lighter way, but <laughs> different way. Uh, <laughs> Damn it, we're going to have to be sneakier now. <laughs> yeah, but consumerism is powerful, and I guess that is mm-hmm. something to take away from it, is it is extremely powerful. Yeah. And, it is, um, it is. But that's why we have, to be, we have to be conscientious consumers that... If the Victorian era taught taught us nothing, it's that we have to be conscientious consumers that like really look at the fads that yeah. that are trying to be foisted onto us because it's, it's we don't know we don't know the things I'm doing now. Like I was talking to Devin the other day, you know, our roommate, because we were like man, we we're watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show, and so we were like, I want sweets around the house because I can't, whatever. So like we'll get Halo Top, which I love Halo Top, right? Because it's better than normal ice cream because it's less calorically dense, but it still it satisfies that ice cream uh, urge. If I were to find out years from now that Halo Top was incredibly, like, toxic, and I don't think it is, but if it were, I'd be like, I'm fucked. I've eaten so much of it without thinking because it appeals to the side of me that wants ice cream but, like, thinks, well, this is a better option, you know? Right. It's very, yeah, it's just, we have, it's hard to be conscientious consumers because it's funny, like, we, consumerism grew out of, when you think about it, out of the need to kind of lessen the shit everyone had to do throughout their day so they could have a life. So I'm not in the kitchen making bed from fucking 4 a.m. to noon or, you know, I'm not having to fucking wash my clothes by hand and fucking roll them out, which is another way people died in Victorian England, actually getting mangled by machines called right. manglers yeah um uh, in the title but but it's funny it's like there's just no getting away from it because i mean there's no getting away from your responsibility self-responsibility yeah. as a consumer like you're like cool this 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 these products you know take like they give me they give me my life and my time back but no now you have to spend just as much cost? time if not more researching to see to make sure that what you're consuming is produced by people that at least care enough about your health 
to want to pay lip service to right. it. Well, and at you least, know what I mean? too, and so it's you know, like the time we used to spend making our own food is now just taken up by having to do research on whether or not the, con- the products we're consuming to consumed are made by criminals. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> and say what you will about government oversight. But uh, less people died in Germany because Germany said stop doing that. That's you know? what governments and are so, for. That's what we pay yeah, taxes for. They're supposed for. to protect I, the people. I, and so I people want don't want that oversight. government bodies to be able but... to protect me from assholes that want to sell me arsenic. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's just, anyway. it's, it's, of course, it's more nuanced than what we're saying. And anybody that is offended by what sure, we're saying sure, then sure. thinks we're t- saying that someone, you, it's all allegedly. So don't fucking sue us. Um, <laughs> it's allegedly. You wouldn't get anything anyway because we're broke. I mean, um, fucking <laughs> no goddamn joke. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I should be selling arsenic wallpaper. I'd make a killing. Yeah, yeah, Aww. right. But thank but you guys. Anyway. Thank you everyone for listening. This was our. We're back. We're back. Woo! We're back. We're back. Um, we've got. We've got our energies coming back. Yeah. Yeah. This was fun, and it was nice to be a little different. I mean, like, let's just look at morbid shit today because ghosts. You know, like we'll get back. Don't worry, we'll get back to ghosts and cryptids and all that. But it's like, why can't ghoulish covers an array of That's topics? Right. We're getting into so the why ghoulish. Can't we? Ish, ish, yeah. Ish. That's what I said. I'm 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 proud of it. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) But yes, okay. Thank you to everyone listening. Thank you to our patrons, of course, per usual. Ghoulintentions.com. Please send us your ghost stories or your weird... uh, weird morbid stories we'll take them please please <laughs> yeah, right um, but thank you and uh, until next time stay safe stay sane and remember it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on, on but don't eat lead <laughs>